Amen, church. Yeah, go ahead and take a seat for me this morning. Thank you, worship team. Is he worthy? He is, isn't he? It's good to be in God's house this morning, isn't it, church? Uh, My name is Tyler. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor, and I want to say a welcome to all who are here. And if you're tuning in online through Facebook or YouTube, we also want to welcome you this morning uh, to the church at Newtown Road. Uh, Obviously, I'm not alone this morning. Amy Hughes is our outreach coordinator, and she's got some exciting stuff happening. She's going to give us an update. Good morning. Am I on? So, yes, I am the outreach coordinator, but some of you may know me now as the temporary assistant greeter downstairs. So um, that's where you can always find me on Sundays. Um, So I'm here to make a couple of quick Christmas announcements. Obviously, this year we decided that reinventing the wheel was a really bad idea. So... We're doing pretty much the same things we've done in the past years, but we're doing them a little bit different. Um, They're they're all the same ministries because it was too hard to come up with some new options. The first is Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Thank you to those who have already packed a box. If you have not packed a box and want to do one online, uh, you can go on our Church Center app or on our website, click on Christmas Outreach, And then right there is a link that's specific for our church that you can fill a box. And the deadline is tomorrow, just so you know that. Um, The second is our angel tree ministry. Uh, This is an opportunity to get gifts for children whose parents are incarcerated. Uh, The angel tree will be set up next week down at registration. And you can pick up an angel and all the details for the angel tree ministry are on the Church Center app and on the website, so you can check that out as well. The third thing is something that the women of our church have been doing for a couple of years, and we decided to open it up to the whole church, and that is providing gift bags for the women who are part of the Mechanicville Domestic Violence Program. This year, as you can imagine, the numbers have gone up exponentially of the women that they're serving. Uh, They always get plenty of gifts for the children that are part of this program, but they rarely get gifts for women. So we put together gift bags to make them feel appreciated and encouraged. Um, If you go on, again, the app or the website, uh, underneath Christmas Outreach, there is one listing for domestic violence, and there is a link to um, an Amazon wish list. We ask that you order from that. Those items will be sent directly to the church. Then we'll put together bags and take them to Uh, down to Mechanicville, and this way less hands are touching, and we can give an opportunity for, to still be able to minister to these women, Um, and if you could please order by December 7th, that gives us plenty of time to get the items, uh, have them sit for a couple of days, and then get them packed up in bags. So our goal for that, for our domestic violence outreach, is to reach at least 40 women. In the past, we've done 40 bags, and they told us this year they have many more women than that, but I confirmed that we would at least do 40. We'd like to maybe up that number, but again, it'll depend on what we receive. Um, These are all wonderful opportunities to safely support and encourage some in our local community, and I encourage you to participate in whatever way you feel comfortable. Thank you, and you know where to find me. Thanks a lot, Amy. Um, church, let's get involved this Christmas season, and, uh, and let's see where we can serve 
our church and serve the Lord, serve our community, serve the world um, with the gifts that we've been given. I've got a couple quick announcements this morning. And the first is, uh, if you haven't filled out a communication card, if you're a guest or visitor, we invite you to do that. Uh, you can do that on the Church Center app, or you can scroll down if you're watching online and click the link and do that uh, there. That's probably the easiest way to do that. We've got a couple exciting things happening today. Um, and one happens in between the two services, right downstairs in 206 in the cafe, and that's our prayer meeting from 1015 to 1045 in between the services. They meet each week, and I know that this week they are uh, talking about and, uh, and meditating on God's word in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, and, and, and talking and praying through how to be thankful in a tumultuous season. And so it's something that we've all, we all need. And so if that's something that you're interested in and would like to be involved with, I know that you can go down there, you can speak with, uh, with Mr. Hayner, uh, Ken Hayner, and ask questions for him, and he'll be able to answer those as well. And then tonight at 7 o'clock, we are live streaming our Thanksgiving service. And so if you want to see uh, Pastor Matt teaching the Word, I don't know if you do. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, Obviously, you do. Um, you can tune in online uh, for our Thanksgiving service tonight. I'm excited about it. Grab your families, throw your PJs on, decorate a Christmas tree before, um, before Thanksgiving or something like that, and then watch our service tonight. We do not have Newtown students programs this Wednesday night. So uh, families, grades 6 to 12, it's been an exciting fall. We are not having uh, our, our event tonight, on this Wednesday night, and so just be aware of that. Uh, and then, as always, thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving. Uh, if you want to give, you're prepared to give this morning. You can do that in the box along the back wall on your way out. Uh, and then one last reminder is on Saturday, December 12th, is our Christmas family fun hunt. Thank you. It doesn't sound like you'll love it, but, but you will. You will. As the excitement grows and we get closer, December 12th, Saturday, December 12th, 2 o'clock, get your families. It's for everybody, all ages, and get ready for that. Okay, we want to we make that aware to you. Uh, I want to invite Pastor Matt up to teach God's word today and continue worshiping that way. Thank you, Tyler. It is so good to see you guys today. I have a confession to make. As many of you know, I am known to be a Scrooge. Um, it's not that I hate Christmas, I just like my holidays in order. And uh, I have a confession to make. I might not be a, a quality leader in my home. Uh, my wife, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, has crossed the line and begun to listen to Christmas music in my house. So, no, no, no. Hey, stop it, all of you, stop it. If we have a blizzard tomorrow, I know who to blame. Shame on you all. All right. It is so good to be gathered here together. My heart is full already. Aaron and the worship team, thank you for leading us. I, my, my mind is just wrapped up in, in Mark 13, and the, the passage today is the coming of Jesus. And then, and then the, the, the song we sung takes my, my mind forward to Revelation chapter 5 and the, the throne room of heaven, and John is weeping. He says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And one of the elders says, weep no more. Behold, look, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And my mind goes back to Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel's got this night vision of the kingdoms of the world. And then the come, one comes on the clouds like the Son of Man, 
And to him is given dominion and a kingdom that's eternal. And, and all the Bible just kind of working together and converging right here in Mark 13 this morning. It is an exciting time to be here today. I can't wait to get into Mark 13. I have no idea what time we're going to get out of here today. Just prepare yourselves for that. We're excited to be here. But before we jump in, I just want to offer a, a quick word of reminder. Uh, Austin and Kathy Benson are, are flying south or heading south this Friday, like all good snowbirds do. How, just out of curiosity, how young, how young is too young to be a snowbird? I'm curious about that. I mean, if we're live streaming, I could live stream from a beach, right? I and mean, it's a, if the governor locks us down, we could do it that way, right? But um, they are heading out this Friday. We have been so glad to have them with us for these extended months. And uh, be, yeah, be praying for them as they head south. They assure me they're coming back next, uh, at the end of next spring, early summer. And so we will uh, we'll look forward to seeing them. But also keep in mind, Joe and Linda Polino are, are already mo- heading south, and uh, a couple other uh, snowbirds in our congregation. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and we'll pray this morning before I uh, get into Mark 13. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for these uh, folks in our lives who you send our way and the unity we share in the Spirit and the big picture of the glorious plan of redemption that we already can see uh, through our worship time this morning. Lord, we need your help as we read the passage and try to understand it today. Sometimes it gets a little challenging. Help me to do it justice. And God, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Mercifully today, I finish up Mark 13. Okay? God is good, and he has seen fit to to cap the time of my suffering and and the struggle of studying such a, a challenging passage. All right, so these past three weeks, though, have been a really fun uh, and exciting exercise for me as we have considered the Olivet Discourse and, and Jesus' teaching in prophecy, Jesus' prophetic teaching on the end times. Next week, we begin our Advent series, so we'll pause for the Christmas season and we'll jump back in in January uh, to finish up Mark at that point. You know, Mark is the shortest gospel, and we are like a year and four months into this thing right now. I don't know when we'll ever get out of it. I apologize to those of you uh, who are waiting eagerly for that, but we're having a good time working through there. Mark 13 is where we're at today. The third part of this Olivet Discourse, we're going to start in verse 24. Now, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. You'll remember, they asked him, Jesus, when will these things be? When will the temple and the, and the, Jerusalem, uh, the city of Jerusalem be destroyed? When is it that one stone will not be left upon another? He said, look, You'll see rumors, you'll hear, see wars, hear rumors of wars, you'll see famines and earthquakes all over the place. Those are just the beginning of the birth pains. You'll, you'll see a great tribulation that breaks out. You'll see an abomination of desolation, somebody standing where he ought not to be, and when you see that, you run, because a great tri- time of trouble is following. Then he says this, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates." Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen. Okay. First portion of this chapter, of this passage, Jesus talks about the Son of Man being revealed. The Son of Man being revealed in the first three verses there. And he says, after this time of great trouble and tribulation and persecution where, where God feels like God's wrath is being poured out on people, after that time of tribulation, there will be some cosmic events happening. That the sun will be darkened and the moon won't give his light. So, so these, these very um, predictable and concrete um, astronomical forces will be shifted and changed. Something doesn't tell us how, doesn't tell us what's going to happen. It says that, that darkness will come. Unexpectedly, because the sun and the moon typically offer light. Cosmic event. We'll see stars falling. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Some event is happening that, that the, the forces of nature are in upheaval. Now, when something like that happens, it's not just the people of God who can feel it and experience it, but the whole world feels and experiences it. Something so drastic, something so uh, broad and sweeping, a global phenomenon of some kind that causes the heavens themselves to be shaken. And when you see that, what comes next is that they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Now, when, when the readers of Mark's gospel in the first century, and when the, the disciples who heard this, heard Jesus' teaching on this, they would have instantly had their minds taken back to the Old Testament Day of the Lord prophecies. They would have seen this statement by Jesus as having been tied to the, the end of the age and the day of God's wrath. And they would have understood that this arrival of the Son of Man, signifying this great and terrible day of the Lord, would have been accompanied by these celestial phenomena. It was, it was something that was, was well understood, that at the arrival of, G, of the Son of Man, there would be cosmic upheaval. And he appears... The Bible says they will see him. They, they will all see him. So often in the Gospels, the identity of Jesus is being veiled and covered over because it's either not his time to be glorified, like in the Gospel of John. People can't handle it. They don't, they don't quite, they're not ready for it. And here in this moment, all of that is gone. Jesus' intention and God, the Father's intention at sending the Son in the clouds, coming with power and glory, is so that every eye will see him and everybody will know exactly who he is. So the whole world will, will cast their eyes on him. Can you imagine the terror? The terror for those who don't know him. And can you imagine the joy in the hearts of those who do? 
Isn't it interesting how one event can produce such polar opposite responses? The appearing of Jesus for his bride, oh my gosh, the joy that will fill our hearts, the the excitement of, of faith turning to sight. For those who don't know them, the utter terror and fear that grips their hearts. Every eye, I will see him every, his, his identity will be true and clear. And they will know without a doubt who he is. So at the end of the tribulation, God is sending his son. And it'll be clear and it'll be revealed that the whole world will know him. And in his coming, he will send out his messengers, his angels, to the four winds, to the ends of the earth. North, south, east, and west. It's a good, good way of saying he's going to send his messengers all over the globe to gather his elect, his chosen people. Remember, had he not intervened, all life would have been lost. But for the sake of the elect, he stopped the persecution. Jesus is coming to gather to himself all of his people in mercy and, and in, in a, sta- uh, a statement of salvation. So Jesus is telling his disciples, remember, the primary thing in view in Mark 13, we said, was this destruction of the temple. That after this unsettling season of wars, rumors, and wars, there would be a desecration of the temple, an abomination that causes desolation. Somebody, it was a person, would stand where he was not supposed to be and desecrate the holy place of God. And after that, after that, a great tribulation would occur such as they had never seen before. And after that tribulation, there would, that the resolution of that would take place as the Son of Man would come in clouds with power and glory, gather to himself his chosen ones from every corner of the earth. Now, as I was researching, some people thought at this point that Jesus was only talking about events in the first century. I think I mentioned that last week. Some scholars that I really respect look at this and they say this is only talking about first century A.D., 70 AD, the destruction of the temple, all the events that Jesus prophesies find their fulfillment there. Others say, nope, Jesus is talking not at all about the first century anymore. He's only talking about the future, the end of days, the, great com- the second coming of Christ. He's only talking about that, not at all about the future. And then some took this mediating position where he says, they say, well, he is talking about the first century, but he's using it as an example, a prophetic illustration of what will come. Now, as has been the case the last couple of weeks, my opinion, and trust me, my opinion is that and like 250 will buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks anymore, right? The, the real issue isn't my opinion, but what God says. So thankfully, we hold to that Reformation doctrine of the priesthood of the believer that's between you and the Lord. Study it out. But here is where I land on this. I take that third position that Jesus is talking specifically about the events of the first century and using those events as a prophetic illustration of what will come in the future. That, that's, that's how I interpret it. So we who live between these fulfillments, we look back and see the historic fulfillment of his prophecy and rest with confidence that his word is true while looking forward to another fulfillment of that same prophecy knowing just as well as the first one happened, the second will happen too. That's, that's how I interpret it. What happens in AD 70 was traumatic and life-altering for anybody who was there. And it's only a shadow of the reality that is to come at the end of the age. That's the perspective that makes the most sense to me. 
And that's what I've understood the Bible, uh, that's how I've understood principles of Bible interpretation to work. You might think I missed it entirely, and that's okay. Maybe I did. I'm not going to lose sleep over it, I promise. I'm going to get my nap in today just like any other preacher I know. So what is clear to me is that the precise nature of the fulfillment isn't really the main point. The whole passage isn't trying to lay out in detail the precise nature of the fulfillment, but the precise response of the disciple as these things are happening. That's what he keeps going back to over and over and over again. He keeps going back to be awake, be alert, don't be led astray, be on guard, stay awake. The main point of this passage is don't fall asleep. Stay alert and ready. Number two, he talks about reading the times. He says, learn the lesson from the fig tree. Now, it's a different lesson from the fig tree. A couple, about two months ago, we talked about the fig tree, and the fig tree was a sign of cursing, remember? It looked like it had fruit, but it had no fruit, just like the temple looked like it was holy, but it, they had turned it into a den of thieves, just like Israel was supposed to be God's messenger and light to the world, but they had failed at their duty, and so they needed to be cleansed. That was the first lesson of the fig tree. This lesson is a little different, but he's still using agricultural terms, something they would understand to make a really clear point. And the point he's making is that by the appearance of the tree and what you see growing on the tree, you can determine what season it is. If, if you saw the fig tree beginning to sprout leaves, you would be able to tell that it's late spring and moving into summertime. And we could do this too, right? If we, just imagine you're sitting at home with your mom or your grandma today looking through a photo album. And for those of you who are 20 and under, a photo album is how we used to keep pictures. See, they were like, kind of like paper and glossy, and you kept them in a binder, and you looked at them, and you didn't have to tap anything. It was great. So if you went home today and sat with your grandma, and you're looking through old pictures, you could see maybe an old picture, and you weren't sure what time of year it had been taken place. But if you noticed in the background, the trees were full of orange and yellow and reds and, and brown leaves, you would say, ah, it must have been the fall because the season, the signs of the season are there. Could you nail down the exact time and date? No. But you knew the general time of year, right? The same is true here. Jesus says, you'll see the signs that will indicate that this is close at hand. Remember, at the end of Revelation, Aaron and I were just talking about this this morning. He says he's coming soon. Almost 2,000 years ago, I'm coming soon, he said. He, the Lord is at hand. So he says, pay attention to the signs. When you see them, you'll know that he is near. Who's near? The abomination of desolation? Jesus is near? Which, which one? I would say this again is like kind of a both and. Because the arrival of the Antichrist and the means that we are hurtling quickly to the end of the day of the age. So can we thousands of years later can we observe the times and know that we too are inching closer and closer to the day and the hour of Christ's return? Yeah. Absolutely. We're closer today than we've ever been. The, I, I had a I had a friend share this with me in the, over the last week. You know, the, the Lord says, a, a, day, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. An old, an old preacher says, I, I guarantee we're in the last day. I just don't know if it's 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. 
we can look around the world, we can see, we can see the seeds of fulfillment coming to fruition. We can watch this stuff happening all around us for sure. Absolutely. And we know, theologically we know, that the arrival of Christ signaled that we were moving into the last days. Now, are we in the last, last days? Are we in the final watch of the last day? I think so, but I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure the reformers thought they were. They thought the Pope was the Antichrist, right? So, so that was about 500 years ago. So yes, and maybe. I mean, the point though isn't, the point isn't here's the precise date or here's the precise method. The point is here's the precise response. Here's what the people of God are to do. The, the, the Bible commentary, Expositor's Bible commentary, states that this, that being able to see these fulfillments is an antidote to despair. These, these offerings of, of seeing these glimpses of fulfillment are hopeful for the people of God that the word of God is true, that the Son of God didn't lie to us, that he's faithful. And looking back on fulfillment, we can look ahead with confidence. God's coming to complete our salvation, to gather us to himself, to bring wrath against sin and bring salvation to the righteous. Now, then he says this, because he, because he wants to make my job as difficult as possible. He says, this generation will not pass away until all these things come to pass. Which generation? Which things? This happened almost 2,000 years ago. What in the world is he talking about? So, again, with this chapter, I had to, it like drove me deep. I had to think and pray and seek out some, some answers to this question. Who are these, who is this generation and who are these things? And, and there are a lot of options. Is he talking about the Jewish people? Is he talking about mankind in general? Is he talking about Christians? And like the ongoing generation of believers? Is he talking about unbelievers? So here, here's what I, after all this, again, this is one of those things that you might agree with me on, you might not, that's okay. Here's what I believe. I believe he's talking about the disciples in a precise way and all of his father, followers in an ongoing way. I think this is, again, a both-and situation. This generation is going to see the destruction of Jerusalem. The generation of my followers will see the destruction of a new temple. They will see the destruction that the Antichrist brings, they will see the deliverance of God. This fall, Jerusalem's fall in AD 70 points us to a greater tribulation at the end of the age. And then he says, heaven and earth will pass away. These things that you believe are true and, and foundational and immovable, they will be rocked and changed. And when the world around us starts to swirl, we get really anxious and uncomfortable. Whether that's on the geopolitical level on the economic level, on the, um, on the current health level with the COVID crisis, on a personal level when we're in transition between jobs or, or relationships are out of whack, when our worlds begin to swirl and it feels like the ground is shaking, we get very upset and very anxious. He says, listen, heaven and earth will pass away. The world itself will start to shake and convulse, but my word will never pass away. I have confidence, even though the world is broken and twisted and convulsing, I have confidence that I can be safe and secure in the word of God. 
good reminder here for us. Whatever chaos is, seems to be raining down on our lives, the word of the Lord is faithful and true. <clears throat> he can be trusted. He can be trusted. But then he says this. It's still a mystery. It's still a mystery. He says, no one knows the day or the hour of the return of the Son of Man. Nobody. Not the angels in heaven. Not even the Son himself. Wrap your head around that. That in, <clears throat> when Jesus arrived in human form, we, uh, we believe that he w- did not cease to be God in any way, but for a season, he voluntarily suspended the use of some of his gifts and his wisdom and his power in order to veil himself in humanity. One example of that is this all-knowing son of God here actually declares, well, I don't know the time that the Father will send me. That's the Father's to know. He set the time. Only the Father knows the day of his appearing. And that should be encouraging to us that it has been set before the foundations of the world and it's not going to change. That there is a fixed date on God's calendar when this whole thing resolves. And no matter what we do, we cannot move that date. So that should, one, free us from despair when it feels like the world's out of control because our worry and anxiety doesn't doesn't fix the situation. But it also should free us from a little bit of a weight of responsibility because I can't do much to change the situation. So lest I think too highly of myself or too little of myself, be reminded today that the date is fixed. You might remember in Acts 1-7, at his ascension, Jesus actually said, it's not for you to know. Wait, the apostles didn't get to know? It's not for us to know either. The main point here is not the precise method of fulfillment or even the day or the hour. The main point has always been in Mark 13, the response of the disciples. And then he says this, be on guard, be alert, stay awake, because you don't know when this will come. The implication is, it could come today, and you don't want to be sleeping. You don't want to be lulled to sleep by the gentle rhythms of apostasy and unrighteousness. The world has this, uh, this calming effect on our hearts. It, it, uh, it lulls us to sleep. It distracts us from the things that really matter. We get caught up in the comforts of this world. And Jesus says, don't be lulled to sleep by the gentle rockings of this world. Be alert, be awake, be on guard. He's coming soon. And when he comes, the last thing you want is to be sleeping. You want to be busy about the Father's business, eagerly awaiting his appearing. And then he gives an illustration just for clarity because he's so good like that. He helps us to see. He says it's kind of like this. It's like a man who goes on a journey and he leaves. So there's a man, a master of a house, who's here and he goes to another country, another place. He's going to return at some point, but his servants don't know when. And in his absence, he leaves the servants in charge. He gives them jobs to do. One of them is a doorkeeper. And he says, listen, doorkeeper, it's your job to open the door to me. Don't fall asleep. I don't want to be stuck out here in the cold. If I come in the middle of the night, if I come early in the morning, if I come at three in the afternoon, I need you to be ready 
at your post on guard, ready to open the door for me. Because you don't want me to return and find you sleeping. The implication is you want to return, you want Jesus to return and find you faithful and working, serving the Lord. Not hiding in a bunker, not withdrawing from the culture, not hiding from the world in fear that we might get some sin on us, but salt and light, right? Witnessing, bearing witness to the glories and the mercies of God in our lives, engaging our friends and neighbors in the gospel, serving as the hands and feet of Jesus, being the light that he called us to be in the community, not retreating, not hiding, faithful in his work, eagerly awaiting his journey. And then he says, to you, to you disciples, I say the same thing as I say to all. I take that to mean all who are reading. Stay awake. Resist the temptation to sleepiness. All right. And with that, mercifully, we close Mark 13. So what? What does all of that mean? So we're at the end of one message, but we're kind of at the end of a three-part little series on this passage. Here's, here's some things that we need to keep in mind. One, there is a time coming when there will be, or for, for the disciples reading, there was a time coming when there would be a large-scale destruction, cataclysmic shifts that would usher in a time of great tribulation. Following that tribulation, there would be a dramatic intervention of God whereby his people would be drawn together and rescued. Like I've said from the beginning of this, it's my conviction that Jesus is talking about historical events that actually happened in the first century and using those events to look forward. Throughout the chapter, Jesus uses these images, this prophetic language, to not only issue a warning for the first century disciples, but also to point our eyes forward to a great and terrible day of the Lord which will come at the end of the age. And during that time, there will be a man of lawlessness that rises to power, who desecrates the holy place of God, who persecutes and wars with God's people, and brings about a season of great tribulation such as which the world has never known, a literal hell on earth, during which time people will beg to taste death as the suffering will be so great. And on the heels of that time of trouble, out of a, out of a heart of mercy and compassion, Christ will or Christ will intervene and stop the trouble, returning in power and glory, and every eye will see him and know his true identity. He will rescue and save his own while bringing to bear upon the hearts of the rebellious and faithless the full weight of the wrath of God's judgment. And this passage today, like we mentioned, works together with the rest of the Bible to give us the basics of that plan. It is alarming and unnerving if you don't know Jesus. It is comforting and is secure if you do. The same event, the same words, the same passage bring two responses. To the heart of the disciple, it brings a sense of longing because this world is broken like we just sang about and we know a new creation is coming and we want it, we crave it. We're tired of the war, we're tired of the fighting, we're tired of sin and sickness. We're tired of saying goodbye to our loved ones. We're tired of seeing disease ravage our children. We're tired of addiction and we're tired of divorce and we're tired of all the mess that the world has to offer and it causes us just to crave that new kingdom where every tear is wiped away, where there's no more death, no more dying, no more sickness. There's no rebellion and war, but God brings in this, this glorious era of unprecedented peace, and all who have trusted him can be part of that. 
But if you have not, then this passage should alarm you and unnerve you. Because with each passing day, we are inching closer and closer toward its fulfillment. And as we watch the, as we watch the events occurring around us, we can see how some of these things might take shape. We can spot ways in our minds with our understanding that could make sense to us. Keep in mind Jesus' words. We don't know. It makes good sense. But, you know, a lot of things that made sense to people at one point. Letting toddlers stand on the middle hump in the back seat made sense at one point. That was dumb. I used to do that. I used to ride with my grandmother, stand right in the middle, hang on to like the, the rear view mirror and one arm on her. We're just driving around the road. No one stopped us. That was probably not very smart. It made sense at the time. I used to ride in the back of pickup trucks. That made sense at the time. That's <laughs> there are ways we can look at the world and we go, look, that makes sense. I could see how that could happen just like that. And if we believe in the imminent return of Jesus, we should believe that in every era that has been possible. But let's take heart and remind ourselves, Jesus said he doesn't even know when the Father will send him. And as often is the case in the Bible, the fulfillment will likely not line up exactly to how we expect it. But once it is here, it will be incredibly clear what just happened. So no one knows. Great. Then what are we supposed to do? I am so glad you asked. Do what Jesus said. Stay awake. Be ready. Be alert. Be watchful. Be looking. He's returning. The main point of this passage is, is, has been the same for three weeks. Don't be caught unaware. Don't be caught unaware. In Matthew 25, you'll, you'll know that the Olivet Discourse is, is included in Matthew, it's included in Luke, and it's, it gives a little bit of a fuller treatment in Matthew 25 because Mark is the shortest gospel. In Matthew 24, he talks about this, this he gives the Olivet Discourse, but then in Matthew 25, he gives a couple parables to help them understand what they're to make of the passage. And I'd like to offer Matthew 25 as a way of closing today. So if you want to go there to the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, here's, here's how Matthew's account, he, he talks about it'll be like as in the days of Noah, and then he talks about how the, the door of the ark was shut and there was no room for entry at that point. That there's a sense of urgency, like you must make a decision. Today is the day of salvation. There's coming a day when the door of the ark is shut and nobody will have an opportunity for forgiveness. We live in this era of amnesty. God has made grace available to you. Today is the day. Repent of sin. Trust in Jesus because there's coming a day when that won't be available to you. It's going to be sudden. And then he says this, Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. I'm in verse 1. These ten virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they're part of a bridal party. And in, in, Western, in Western weddings, the bride is the centerpiece. In these Eastern, ancient Near Eastern weddings, the groom was the centerpiece of the wedding. So the party would go to get, meet the groom. He was the, the main deal there. Okay. Five of them, five of these virgins were foolish and five were wise. For the, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The foolish virgins thought, well, this is going to be a quick trip. I don't need to take any reserves. The five wise thought, well, I don't know when I'm going to get to see the groom. I'm going to take some reserves of oil. Okay. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom, verse 5, was delayed, uh-oh, 
He's delayed. He hasn't come now. Now there's a gap in their plan. As he was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Similar language here, right? Notes don't sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry. At midnight? Yes. Midnight, he shows up. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. They lit their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. We weren't prepared. Can you spare some of yours? But the wise said, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. They said, no, I can't give you mine. If I give you mine, I won't have a lamp. I don't have enough oil for me and for you. I only have enough for me because I brought it. Go go to the dealer. Go find it somewhere else. So they did. They left. They went into town at midnight to go find an oil dealer to fill up their lamps. And while they were in town, the groom comes, and all who were ready went with him. And they returned, and he wasn't there. And they found the place where they were having the bridal feast, and the door was shut to them, and they couldn't come in. This was his way of highlighting the application to the Olivet Discourse. What does that mean? When the bridegroom returns, even though for now he's delayed, only the wise, only the prepared will be free to go with him. That's exactly what he says. Only those who are ready will go with him. And those who are not will be shut out of the feast. See, the foolish are not ready And they are responsible for their lack of preparation. They knew exactly what they should do. They chose not to. They didn't take seriously the imminent arrival of the bridegroom. And they didn't bring oil for the lamps. Instead, they put off their preparation, presumably until a later time. And in their foolishness and in their faithfulness, they were rejected. And as Alistair Begg mentioned in his sermon on this passage, on that day, you will not be able to borrow faith from anyone. Can you hear me? You can't borrow faith from anyone. You must possess it for yourself through God. Children, you can't borrow faith from your mom and dad on that day. Gosh, I wish we could. I wish I could give some of my extra. Husband, you can't borrow faith from your wife. Church member, you're not going to borrow faith from your pastor. You can't borrow faith from a friend. You have to have it yourself. You have to be prepared and ready yourself. There's such a strong sense of urgency here. I'd be negligent if I didn't continue to pause here and and drive this home. This sermon, the passage, calls out this sense of urgency. Some of you listening to me, either here in the room or maybe online, are not yet followers of Jesus. You've not yet turned from sin. You've not repented and turned to Christ and believed him. You've not been born again, as the Bible would talk about. You've put it off for some other day. You've said things like, in your own heart, someday I'll get serious about this. Someday I'll go back. Someday I'll, I'll get right. Someday I'll, someday I'll get over this. Someday I'll get religious. Someday later I'll get my affairs in order. And in the words of the great American prophet John Fogarty, I'm here to tell you now, each and every mother's son, you better learn it fast and you better learn it young. Someday never comes. Someday never comes. Today is the day of salvation. Today, today is the day of your forgiveness. It is available to you, and you have to do nothing to purchase it. You simply need to receive the free gift of God's grace. Wherever you are, 
Christ is returning, and I don't know when. Like I said, like that old pastor I heard about, I believe we're in the very last day. I don't know if it's 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. I'm not sure, but he's coming, and he's coming soon. And when he comes, I want him to find us ready. I want him to find you ready. I want him to find your family members ready and prepared with the faith that is the victory that overcomes this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word, its power, its truth. We thank you for the, the songs we sang today that help us see it all coming together. Lord, we thank you and rejoice that you have made a way for sinners to be made right with God so that when the bridegroom returns, we have the, the, the ability to be prepared and ready through faith to go with you. Lord, I pray that you would today bring to mind an awareness of our standing before you. Lord, that our sin has broken our fellowship with you and we stand to receive judgment. It's the only righteous thing you can do. But in your mercy, you made a way for our sin to be carried and paid for by the death of your only son. Lord, I pray for all who can hear my voice that they would ask very seriously that question, am I ready for the return of the bridegroom? And Lord, I pray that today you would make them ready, not by my words, not by filling out some kind of card, not by some religious activity, but in the quietness of their seats that you'd make them ready by causing their hearts to beat again with the life of the Spirit. Help them to turn away from sin, turn to you and receive your gift of grace. And Lord, I pray for our church family that we would be ready and alert, busy about the Father's business. Help us to not get too distracted by the chaos we see around us, but help us to plant our feet firmly on the solid rock of Jesus Christ to look forward with joy and anticipation at his near return. And Lord, when you come, I pray that you'd find us faithful and busy about the Father's business, not sleeping, but active and eagerly awaiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this point, we have to leave you live streamers. Thank you for joining in with us today. 9 and 11 each Sunday, we are right here. And we'd, all, we'd also invite you to come be part of our in, uh, in-person services if you're comfortable with that. Those of you still here on campus, go ahead and stand up, and we will close the service with some songs of worship today.